Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out the radio version of the show every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on WDJY 99.1 in Atlanta. We also air on a podcasting network in Los Angeles called the 405 Media. There's a TV version of the show that airs on KMVT 15 in Silicon Valley at 8 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday nights. Both versions of the show air in other states. For these show times plus past episodes, please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. Join me at the 10th Annual Media Excellence Awards on January 18th in Beverly Hills, California. The attendees and I will be celebrating innovation and leadership in technology and entertainment. There are 20 award categories with 1,000 nominees. These awards honor those who are creating groundbreaking technology to better our lives and celebrate the hard work, determination, and brilliance in the leadership within the companies which create the new world we live in today. I will be recording nominees and winners at the awards. For tickets and more information, go to MediaXAwards.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Jim Canella. He's the senior director, executive producer, and digital media at the Recording Academy, which produces the Grammys. Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? I'm very well. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I think kind of what you're doing and kind of your thoughts on where the industry is is actually really fascinating to me, but maybe before we kind of get into all that, let's start off and get to know you a little bit better and maybe start off with where you grew up. Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in uh, Chicago and in St. Louis, and I, um, I, I typically tell people it's, it's the reason f- uh, I may be uh, mildly bipolar in that um, <laughs> Chicago gave me a love of urban uh, city life and sure. independence, and St. Louis uh, was the polar opposite of that, although a great pace, place to um, uh, to go to high school and to, uh, uh, and to, and to experience uh, a more suburban uh, uh, lifestyle. So the two sides really, I think, um, gave me two different points of view when it came to kind of approaching people and um, and 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 the various inputs uh, in life that um, that I think are important to to consider. I think it actually makes me a better marketer too, um, as I as I started to apply it in my career. Sure. So you went to university. What did you end up taking in university, and why did you decide to take it? Yeah, I started um, thinking. Uh, I started uh, taking econ classes and thinking that I was going to go into finance or something in the kind of traditional uh, um, uh, business world. Um, found that uh, it was a little dry for my taste, and I also had a uh, um, since high school a uh, a very strong passion for music uh, and started playing um, uh, music in college and really just going deeper and deeper into it. So I switched and began to, um, to follow marketing uh, as a discipline. Okay. And um, uh, also while doing that, I took a, uh, another left turn and studied jazz uh, for a year, year and a half as well. Um, uh, and I couldn't figure out uh, uh, how to bridge those two worlds. I really was passionate about music. I wanted to play. I wanted to be a performer. What, what um, instrument did you was, play, just out of curiosity? Sorry to interrupt. I played, uh, I played guitar, but, okay. you know, when you study jazz, and that was my primary instrument, but uh, when you study jazz, you have to also uh, learn the piano, which is something I didn't right. uh, at the college level. Uh, I, I didn't do uh, growing up. And it's very steeped in, in theory, um, 
and uh, uh, and and technique. Um, and I came from a, a passionate, and this is the Chicago and St. Louis uh, and the Mississippi River coming into play here. Sure. I was very passionate about the blues. And so I would be in a recital or I would be in a class uh, um, about you know tr- traditional jazz, and I would bend a note and get a stern look or a, or a rap on the, uh, uh, on the fingers from it with a ruler <laughs> and decided that, um, you know, maybe, uh, well, whereas I appreciated and, and uh, loved the mathematics behind music theory, and um, uh, uh, it didn't fit necessarily my desire to paint outside the lines a little bit. And um, and um, again, I had this these aspirations to be in the business world as well. So um, as I'm starting to look at at uh, uh, summer internships. I knew that the big promoter in town, this is in St. Louis, okay. um, um, uh, might use somebody, uh, might need somebody like me, uh, an enterprising uh, young man who would uh, who would work for free, of course, which helps, and uh, just went after them and over and over and over applied and pleaded and tried to find any way in and finally did get an internship um, with them two months, two and a half months into the internship. They asked if uh, I wanted to come on as a, an hourly employee. That's awesome. I man. jumped at the chance, switched to, uh, to night school, and uh, that began my career in the, uh, in, in, in the music business. And it seemed like the perfect way to marry my passion with, um, with what I, I thought I could apply in terms of a business mind um, and to develop both at the same time. Sure. That's great. So walk me through kind of the rest of your kind of career up until the Recording Academy. Well, I started really there. It was The company was Contemporary Productions. This is um, um, still the, the, the waning days of independent um, uh, concert promoters. Right. Um, and so, you know, the way the system worked um, uh, back in the in the early and mid uh, 90s was every city uh, had a independent promoter who was very entrepreneurial. They usually uh, started by putting their own money up uh, or found uh, a few investors and um, they would take chances, take risk on bringing national acts, local acts and national acts um, to audiences, rent venues, um, promote Shows, you know, marketing, um, uh, promotion, uh, uh, business terms with uh, with uh, the ticketing uh, companies, all of these things wrapped up in these one-day events. There's a one-evening events that would happen, and over time, and as they grew and became more successful, they would either grow to um, to take over regions or okay. be the predominant promoter in a region, which this company, Contemporary, uh, did for in the Midwest. Um, and also, uh, they had more resources uh, and more capital, so they could actually build some of their own venues. And this is where what we call the sheds uh, started to come into place, the outdoor amphitheaters that had the uh, first half of the building was, uh, was reserved seats, the back half was, um, was a lawn, uh, and these then popped up all over the country. Uh, and then, you know, you'd have clubs and theaters, and so you would do all-size shows, and you would kind of represent your region or your, or your city. Um, and that was fascinating to me. Not only did I get to see uh, and participate and meet and be part of um, uh, of putting these together, 
um, but um, but also understand um, how that risk would then could then be applied or amortized over a full year of, of shows and and ups and downs, and um, and hopefully come out uh, ahead there. And it taught me um, a couple lessons, uh, which I certainly uh, and I will probably talk about later, but I, I applied to the rest of my career. These uh, businesses also would. Um, then start to diversify a little bit and start uh, producing private events, uh, whether it be for you know wealthy um, uh, local individuals who wanted to put on a big charity event or corporate partners who wanted to bring in um, uh, their their sales staff. They wanted to do an annual uh, event or some sort of a big launch uh, event. In St. Louis, we happen to have a lot of major companies: Anheuser Busch, right. uh, McDonnell Douglas, uh, Ralston Purina. The list would go uh, go on and on. And um, I spent half of my time there um, uh, as a uh, production manager and a promoter rep, which meant that. Um, for the things we would do in traditional venues, I would be the guy that was the first one there, make sure that the crew got in, the stage got built, we had uh, contracted uh, all the different vendors you need to contract uh, properly, make sure the artist is taken care of, show plays off, and uh, and you make sure that the dollars are tracked. Or the other part of the job was um, as we would have these one-off events, special events that would happen on a, on a large scale, um, we would, uh, as a team, uh, devise what the kind of a launch event would be, what the spectacle would be, um, and then do that on behalf of a corporate partner. So we opened up malls all over the country. Uh, we uh, would do New Year's Eve events. We would do the uh, annual Fourth of July celebrations. Um, so it was a it was a really fun way to spend your twenties sure. and I can get to know all different sides of uh, sides of the business um, and keep an eye at the same time on the business and you could kind of see who was getting ahead, who wasn't, um, how some folks would get stuck in certain roles or, or, or positions and you would see, you know, maybe how their career track um, uh, uh, might go. And as you imagine yourself taking one of those roads, um, I decided early on that I wanted to be a, um, a master of many trades and I wanted to know all different sides and all different angles of the business to give myself the flexibility. I didn't want to find myself to, uh, to, uh, as a as a 60-year-old um, uh, who had the time of his life but spent his entire life on the road and, uh, and, and never was able to establish some roots or establish uh, himself um, uh, in the upper ranks of an organization. Uh, even though I really loved on the ground getting your hands uh, dirty or being right there with the stagehands and with uh, the guitar techs uh, as we prepare to, to to shine a flashlight up the stairs and have somebody get on stage. That's amazing, man. I, I can't even imagine that. that. like That must have been just like an absolute blast, but I understand how you could kind of just want to just settle down and kind of go to, go to the same place maybe every day and not be on the road. I, I totally understand that, but I, I can't even imagine the stories you, you have. And I, I wish we could cover some of those, but, but I'm kind of curious then to know how did you kind of get involved and, and start working with the recording Academy? Well, you know, as that business um, was maturing and uh, we getting into the, uh, the late nineties, um, uh, there started to become consolidation. Okay. And so um, a, a 
uh, one company in particular uh, rolled up um, the company that I worked for, Pace Concerts out of uh, out of Houston, um, uh, Bill Graham Presents out of San Francisco, a couple of comp- uh, companies, and that was uh, a gentleman by the name of Robert Sillerman, and he created SFX Entertainment. Um, that conti- that roll-up of these individual promoters continued over time, mm-hmm. and whereas I really enjoy the entrepreneurial feel of um, being kind of masters of your region, and uh, I started to see the corporate consolidation and I ran from it. I didn't, I didn't like it. Uh, I could see where things were, were going. Um, and it's funny, but that's why I tell you the rest of the story of my career. Uh, I chased that consolidation around for the next 20 to 25 years. Um, so as that was happening, um, an upstart, um, w- uh, a small boutique tour promoter uh, called Concerts West was popping up in Los Angeles. Okay. And we had talked to them a couple of times um, about doing some uh, some projects. The, the the big project ultimately did not uh, happen. And um, um, I asked the CEO, a gentleman by the name of John Meglin, if uh, he would hire me. He said yes, and I was the first employee there. Uh, moved to Los Angeles um, thought, okay, you made it to the big leagues in Los Angeles in the music business. And um, we literally worked out of um, uh, a garage um, that's for a amazing. few months, then into a, um, into a uh, 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 I think we did three or four office moves as we continued to grow. And we're doing major projects. We're doing the Eagles. We're doing Mariah Carey. We're doing uh, um, Reunited Bad Company. We're doing David Lee Roth. Uh, we're doing the Christmas tours. And these are at the arena level. But wow. this is a small upstart that's growing. Uh, we ultimately wound up um, uh, being part of the Celine Dion Las Vegas project. Oh, very uh, cool. Bringing that to um, to creation. Um, and... The Coachella Festival, which had just started uh, one year and had some financial difficulties, um, we came in uh, with uh, an investment there. Um, long story short is that uh, ultimately um, got the attention of Philip Anschutz, who uh, purchased Concerts West, rolled it into what is now known as AEG Live, which is the second biggest concert promoter in sure. the world. The biggest concert promoter in the world is was the result Five years um, later of the consolidation I spoke of earlier, which uh, uh, became Live Nation. Sure. So again, through consolidation, through uh, through a- acquisition, I find myself in these um, uh, in, in in these companies, and ultimately decided that uh, I w- again wanted to go with something a little bit more organic, and I jumped ship and went over to House of Blues, sure. and um, was doing uh, corporate partnerships, building tours at House of Blues and um uh and ultimately got involved in uh in technology um at House of Blues I found myself uh uh immersed in mobile technology we were okay. um at the forefront at the time of doing uh streaming of concerts well before there was a real business uh and legal right uh, to do so so uh this before the first dot com um bubble burst uh, all of the House of Blues venues were actually um, uh, streaming many of their shows, um, but this is before broadband penetration sure. in the home. So you got to dial up modem, and you're trying to stream uh, a show on stage or download it later. Um, uh, approvals and clearances and, and releases were um, hopefully in a folder someplace, but wasn't always uh, w- wasn't always first priority. Those were on the House of Blues website, wasn't it? 
Those were on the House of Blues website. That's wild because I remember watching some of those like growing up. That's crazy. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, I remember like I remember like because the the province I live up in Canada actually got like cable high speed Internet, like very kind of early on. And going from that like 56K modem to like cable Internet was like crazy so i remember that like that was around the time you guys were that's wild okay but keep going sorry (laughs) and and um and uh so as we are uh doing so we also have a second part of the business house of blues was the recognizable uh name in those clubs but those amphitheaters that i had mentioned we had a network of those around the country as well that came from um uh, an acquisition of universal concerts. Right. So we had in Atlanta and in Denver and in a bunch of other markets, the outdoor uh, amphitheater as well. And so I straddled the fence between the two doing um, uh, work in um, in marketing and creating partnerships for um, the clubs as well as for uh, the amphitheater side. And then uh, starting to build a, from my Concerts West days, a proper touring division that um, could, uh, with the help of our, uh, our of our lead talent booker, um, figure out a way so that you're not just progr- with one tour. We're not just programming our eight, ten, twelve uh, club House of Blues venues, but we're also hitting the other markets along the way on the route, and either partnering with the locals or the independents that were left uh, to create uh, a tour that we could um, financially take uh, participate in um, uh, on a national basis. Um, the dot-com bubble burst, the IPO that uh, House of Blues had um, had at the ready, uh, which was based on the streaming um, uh, strategy, uh, dried up. And we still wanted to continue on with the touring business. And uh, the powers that be said, well, you've got some... Um, you've got some uh, experience working with sponsors on the amphitheater side of, uh, of things. If we want the touring to continue to grow and to do uh, interesting projects, we're going to have to figure out a way to uh, attach sponsors to them so that they, uh, uh, so that they make financial sense. Sure. And I found myself then becoming a corporate partnership person and a sponsorship person that had all this past experience in how shows work and how tours work and now how sponsorship works and tried to put those things together. Um, one of the, um, uh, towards the end of that run, one of the great, uh, sponsorships that we had was with Motorola, who at the time was on fire with the, uh, with the, um, um, the Razer flip phone and they yeah, were yeah, yeah. doing extremely, extremely well. And, um, I had to figure out, um, what would this deal be and how would we actually activate? And the challenge was to infuse mobile technology into the day to day, uh, operations of a venue great i can i can pull from all these different um uh disciplines that i know um and we did the early days of text messaging to screen where you would uh uh, be able to you know in between the 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 the, um, opening act and the headliner be able to uh, share your thoughts up on the screen and how do you moderate that sure Uh, do enter to win um things um as we uh, started to get more sophisticated with it and I started to learn the technology more um, in the clubs you could go up to a piece of folk art um, which was a Bluetooth hotspot and download a ringtone um, a ringtone by the way that was a guitar riff that I recorded um, uh, in the office because we, we didn't know we, we didn't know any other way to do it we we're just we we're just <laughs> trying this out That's awesome. we were first to sell a uh, uh, a ticket 
um, via mobile technology with, with a very complicated, and certainly I'm glad it, it didn't uh, continue to present day, but you could text message your way through uh, a menu system to get to a, uh, a show that you were interested in buying a ticket for. And if you had a linked credit card account on, on uh, HOB.com, uh, you could then purchase your ticket right there on your device. Really cutting edge stuff at the time. Sure. And I became the mobile guy for the concert business uh, and um, was doing interviews and speaking at panels and had never really thought my career in music and in the concert business would lead me into digital. Um, Ultimately, um, uh, House of Blues winds up getting acquired by Live Nation. Yeah, I remember Again, that. Again, yeah. so this, this very first company <laughs> that I that I left that became Live Nation wound up uh, getting what I thought was my dream job at House of Blues. And I, uh, after about uh, a year of layoffs and and getting a knock on my door every uh, every two months, somebody saying, "Work for me now." Hey, you work for me now. I exited and uh, decided uh, after a little bit of a break to uh, to build my own uh, mobile app, uh, which was a digital magazine, on the um, on the iPad, which was just coming out. Yeah. Um, and fantastic project. Learned a, a ton. Burned way too much of my own money doing it. Sure. Um, and then decided I needed to get a real job again. Um, and that's where the Recording Academy opportunity uh, presented itself, and, and I find myself there now. So, so what's your kind of day-to-day at, at the Recording Academy? It's probably different throughout the year, but, but just kind of give us a quick kind of overview of what you do at the Recording Academy. Yeah, I spent years, uh, the first five years here, in the marketing and, um, and partnerships uh, team, okay. um, working with uh, sponsors of the Academy um, and, uh, and, and, and trying to leverage uh, – the um, the general awareness that we have of uh, the Grammy Awards, which is our big annual event that we're known for, everybody knows the symbol of the Grammy, sure. but they don't necessarily know the the organization behind it. Um, you know, um, so as a, as a marketer, it's how do we generate awareness uh, for this? How do we make sure that you know people tune into the broadcast that it's very uh, it can it consistently you know stays in the top three. Uh, or top five of, of television events um, globally for the year. Um, and then how can we also um, uh, find sponsors who we can leverage both their voice and their, uh, and their dollars to do uh, interesting things and keep, keep, the, um, uh, keep the Grammy brand itself fresh. Um, and uh, as with everything, digital became more and more of a um, – uh, of an important factor when having any conversations, internal or external, about how, wh- how are we going to how are we going to activate this? How are we going to reinvent this? How are we going to find new audiences? And um, um, I uh, began to take over uh, uh, sections of our uh, of our content uh, team, uh, and I my, not take over the team, but take over the, the the voice of some of our content. We called it marketing content, and in that. You know, there's things that we can do just for promotional purposes only and things that we can do that we find are more brand building and that it explains who we are. You know, the Recording Academy is the organization behind the awards. The awards are what we're known for, but it's kind of a Trojan horse because um, it, it gets your foot in the door and every artist pretty much anybody who has a pop culture sensibility uh, or is aware of entertainment on any level knows 
what our symbol is, what our statue is, and that it's the most you know coveted award in music. But it's coveted because the um, membership behind it, um, the creators, the producers, the uh, engineers, the artists who all vote on the award, um, make it appear uh, appear granted um, a recognition of of excellence. Um, and that means a lot. But that same group of membership um, also is interested in the philanthropic side of what we do. Right. And so we've got two charities, Music Cares, which is health and wellness um, for, uh, for the creative community. Um, we've got um, the Grammy Museum, which uh, not only has a physical uh, a presence in Los Angeles with exhibits, but um, uh, works tirelessly with music education uh, on the high school level, um, uh, trying to make sure that the next generation of kids in, the, um, in a world where we've got um, uh, continual cuts in arts programs um, at the public school level, um, how can we step in there and help with curriculum, help with funding, give grants, recognize excellent uh, school teachers? Um, we also do a lot of work in preservation of uh, of music, and we just you know today had or yesterday had the passing of Rick Hall from um, from Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Um, we spent uh, I spent a, a weekend there where we interviewed him and. Um, and every member of that town who might have stepped foot in the place to to preserve the legacy of it and to understand how some of the greatest songs get got created and who are the people behind it and again that's that's the thing that this continues to tie back with the awards is that um the recognition of the song or the album um the the big splashy television event that happens once a year that gets 25 27 million viewers wow. this is our 60th year um, and does very well. Um, it is truly a team of creators, of writers, of engineers, of producers, of everybody that that is behind um, those wins, those successes. Even just those nomina those nominees. If you're nominated, it changes your life, sure. regardless yeah. of whether or not you win. You're forever Grammy nominated, whatever your name is. Sure. And um, fighting for those uh, those folks. Um, fighting for them on Capitol Hill, trying to make sure that copyright law um, uh, is up to date with the realities of today's business. Um, that's really what the Academy is about. Interesting. Um, we just find ourselves every January and February um, um, focusing on producing a great television show, but the rest of the year we're focusing on the membership that we serve, and it keeps us very busy. A lot of people ask, you know, great, what do, you, what do you do the rest of the year? And the answer is, we do everything that we do, we weren't able to do because we were focused on a TV show. <laughs> no, I, I I think that's really great, man. And I, I love how you kind of gave kind of an overview of kind of the other stuff that you guys kind of do throughout the year. But I really want to kind of move away from kind of, you know, your day-to-day your -day kind of job. And I really want to kind of get your thoughts on where the kind of entertainment industry is right now because – you have kind of everybody that says it's fine and there's it's always been this way and there's nothing really wrong. And then you have everybody on, or you have people on the other side where it's all doom and gloom and, you know, it's going away. I'm curious to know where do you kind of see the kind of entertainment from kind of maybe a music and, and from a, you know, television and a movie side of things? Where do you see the state of it? Yeah, uh, you know, and... and <clears throat> Most recently, I've, I've in the last year, I've moved over to 
purely the digital media side of the academy. Okay. And the reason for that is because of these larger trends that you mentioned that are happening to entertainment and to music specifically. Um, um, you know how we reach uh, how we reach an audience, how we continue to reach the new audiences and the audiences that are um, you know coming into uh, into adulthood. Um, is very important. We have 60 years of history here, and we can't just assume that uh, 10, 20 years from now, everybody will be tuning into traditional TV anymore. Sure. Um, just the exactly the same way that um, the music industry was at the forefront, uh, and now we're seeing it in, in other um, mediums, but the music industry was at the forefront of the shift to digital. Yeah. Um, the physical product, the in the case of music, the um, the album, uh, the full album, first of all. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, now that we're in a singles world, um, the, uh, uh, the 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 physical product that you went to a store and purchased, or you uh, Columbia hats or or uh, or by by mail order uh, received uh, a CD of, um, that is the shrinking part of the business saw for many years, last 10 years, really, um, the music business is over. The music business is, uh, is fallen off of a cliff. It will never regain its footing. Um, there are huge losses, and uh, it's, it's a death toll. Well, I don't agree with that. I think uh, as we're starting to see, even in the, the numbers of uh, some of the, the publicly traded companies, uh, the record labels, um, and the services like uh, Apple Music and Spotify, sure. that that's not true. There is a healthy ecosystem still there. I truly believe, and I know this by seeing some of the data firsthand, that um, there is more music being consumed now than at any other time in our history. Interesting. Um, is that because of streaming? Music. Yes. I mean, okay. I think access to music is, um, you know, the, the barriers are gone. Now, the, sure. barriers to, uh, the barriers to access were created by a a business structure, a business, um, um, uh, a series, of, uh, a number of business entities that were delivering value by by giving you product, but there was exclusive uh, there was exclusivity in how you uh, how you obtained that product. As those barriers started to come down, and as as technology created that change, and rightly or wrongly, and by the way, there's a lot of people who are wronged in the process. Um, sure. Uh, the general consumer out there uh, has more access to it. So it's very healthy in that regard. Um, as, we, uh, as we start to think about, though, what was a $20 CD um, now is a, a free stream or sure. a stream that you pay $10 a, a month for all access. Yep. You know, you think about how that floats down the rest of the chain and that singer, uh, songwriter, that um, uh, that that person who worked on the session, uh, uh, being compensated so we can continue to to create it. The tools to create uh, have leveled the, uh, a playing field to a certain extent. It's easier to, uh, just as it is for you to do a podcast um, sure. uh, or a radio program from from just about anywhere now. You can record uh, from just about anywhere now. The quality of which you do it, the craft with which you put into it, you know, those are things that still take the 10,000 hours uh, sure. and still are something that, you know, uh, ultimately will decide whether something rises to greatness um, uh, or not. We're seeing it in the film business and television business, too, that, you know, it's not just about the big three networks anymore. It's yeah. about 
the streaming services. It's about uh, somebody who started as a bookseller uh, who now sits at, uh, at a center table at the Golden Globes um, uh, Awards. Um, so this this whole business um, um, continues all of entertainment and all of content, uh, whether or not it's coming from a big entity or um, or somebody down the street who just has a point of view. Um, there's more out there. It's it's very healthy out there in terms of access to just about everything. Um, we find, I think, ourselves still uh, challenged with some of the most basic things, which is how are you going to market it? How are you sure. going to promote it? How are you going to break through? Uh, because it's not just about buying a full-page ad in the New York Times anymore. And that's truly the challenge today. Um, um, legal uh, legal rights and, the, and copyright and uh, clearance and all those sorts of challenges are massive, massive headache. Sure. But um, it's going to take some time to work those things out. Uh, eventually, the consumer does win right now. Um, let's just make sure that we have a healthy ecosystem so that uh, we can continue creating great stuff and not just, you know, shaky cell phone um, uh, videos of, sure. of, of things happening on the street. Sure. So I'm curious, though, to get your thoughts on, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, at least it seems like even with kind of online streaming, whether people are paying for it or not, in the movie space, like movies for the, a lot or like a lot of movies are still doing really well. People are going to see the theaters. It seems like, at least in my opinion, that um, from the music side, yes, I might pay 10 bucks a month for Spotify or Google Music or Apple Music or, or one of the other ones, That, but... I discover new artists coming through my town and then, you know, I'll go see them live in concert when they're and maybe buy a T-shirt or, you know, a, a record like an actual vinyl record nowadays. So uh, like, have you kind of noticed that? Yeah, maybe you're, they're not making money necessarily off of the actual like buying of a physical, you know, DVD or Blu-ray or or CD, but they're actually going to a theater or a concert hall and maybe buying some merch around a movie or a show? Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, and this is well documented out there, that the um, the share of the pie, of the revenue pie, uh, has changed uh, a lot in the last 10 years. Um, is As you mentioned, it is much more on the live revenue side. It is on the merchandise side and the other parts of the business than uh, it is on the recorded product. Uh, it used to be the other way around. A, a record label would actually pay for an artist to go out on tour in the in the um, in the 70s uh, and 80s um, as a way of promoting album sales. Um, now record labels uh, are uh, signing uh, what's known as 360 deals, which means we want, to, if we're going to be responsible for or participate in getting you out there and getting you known and, and increasing your visibility, we'd like to have a, a piece of these other piece, uh, uh, these other parts of the revenue stream. Um, and it does change the um, the idea of do I need a full album? Should yeah. I just release two or three tracks on a consistent basis and just keep feeding, uh, feeding folks on there, uh, out there, or should I focus on the traditional format um, and have a point of view or have something to say and have uh, some a, co a cohesive whole? Uh, and there is no right or wrong answer to it. And uh, what's interesting is that I think you know this new flexibility can fit the creative. Um, uh, the creative uh, voice within any artist, and they can they can they have different paths that they can take now. But um, 
um, you know, there still is something, and I'm a bit biased, but there is still something about, you know, a song um, as a recorded piece of, um, uh, as, as a recorded uh, snapshot of, of, of that artist's point of view. Um, takes time to craft, takes time to sonically get it where you need, and it takes um, uh, and it takes some expertise um, and some and some sweat to um, to really make that song that everybody then wants to go see the ticket and wants to uh, uh, to buy the T-shirt. And um, it always comes down to the song. I think you know in other formats um, you see it in digital video, right? Um, 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 the guys that break through on YouTube um, because they have interesting storytelling or they have uh, they have funny videos that they do, ultimately, if they break through and they get signed to some sort of a deal where they can monetize it and they can um, uh, they can be given more resources to do a more a better job, a, a more polished presentation, um, with that you know comes growing up a little bit as a as a creative and. Um, uh, and you have to start thinking about other things. You have to start thinking about general appeal. You have to start thinking about uh, or who your audience is and really serving that one niche. Um, these are things that um, that will stay true regardless of where the technology takes us. Um, um, you know, the business side is starting to catch up with the other side. And uh, what's important, I think, um, whether it's a a, uh, a series streaming on, on Hulu, a YouTuber, uh, a recording artist, um, whoever it is uh, out there, that the audience doesn't take for granted that um, maybe the old school business is changing, but there still needs to be some commerce around uh, the idea of giving somebody the freedom not to have to work the yeah. nine to five day job and focus their energy entirely on creative output. And it's a rare gift. And yep. I think, um, you know, um, business is created around those people, but let's still respect those people. No, I, I a hundred percent agree with you, uh, Jim. Um, so I'm, I'm kind, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So I, but I do want to kind of cover, you've been kind of with the, the media X awards kind of since the beginning, how have you kind of worked with them kind of since the beginning and, and what do you kind of see your role with them has kind of been over the last 10 years? 10 years ago, the first, um, uh, the first uh, MEAs was the Mobile Excellence Awards. Right. And it's just exactly what we've been talking about here. Um, uh, I, I was the mobile guy working in or music or the music guy who knew a lot about mobile. Um, and um, it was an interesting space, and we've seen a lot of uh, folks come and go. We've seen a lot of great ideas win uh, MEA awards. Um, but uh, as mobile stopped becoming mobile and started becoming just the Internet, and as all of us who are um, part of the team that um, works for Sarah Miller and um, uh, uh, and, and shapes the uh, – the awards in terms of how it's going to be presented and that what categories we think are important. Um, you know, we've all seen that um, traffic to websites is 60, 70% for mobile devices now. Sure. Uh, what's the difference between a mobile device and a laptop anymore? The computing power in your iPhone is, uh, is light years ahead of uh, the laptop that you had uh, 10 years ago. Yep. Uh, so the, the MEAs are starting to recognize all forms of media. Um, 
uh, and uh, the fact that media uh, continues to evolve um, means that uh, and and there's it's easier in some regards to create media. Um, it still comes down to presentation layer. It still comes down to how you simplify it uh, and what a user experience is, um, what the interface is, is like, and how can uh, how can you create an atmosphere, an app, a um, a uh, uh, a technology um, to simplify the process of wading through all of this media that's out there, all of this entertainment product or news and information that's out there, and make it digestible and make it actually entertaining. And um, uh, that hasn't changed over 10 years of the of the Media Excellence Awards. Um, it's how the lever how the technology has evolved and how it's leveraged that is what gets awarded. And, and frankly, for those of us involved um, behind the cart curtain with Sarah on it, um, we really enjoy seeing the best of the best that's out there, um, uh, seeing what people how people have uh, come up with ingenious ways to to uh, to entertain or inform folks, and it gives us uh, ideas about how we should maybe up our game as uh, all of our businesses become more digitally focused, and and um, we we're, we're always looking for that next way to excite a consumer out there, excite a fan out there. Um, and then and then give them uh, uh, whatever our business message may be, but we still have to get their attention, and I think that's what the MEAs uh, recognize. Perfect, man. Well, we're coming to the end, so how about you? Let's close the show with maybe mentioning a couple places where people can find you guys online and you know check check out all the stuff you're you're kind of involved in. Uh, well, of course, for the uh, Recording Academy, um, it's uh, Grammy.com. Uh, we have our show, uh, our awards process is coming up on January 28th on Sunday. We'll be in New York this year, and it's our 60th year. So that's uh, go to go to Grammy.com and, and follow us on our social handles, most, most of which are at Recording Academy. Um, to, uh, to stay up to date there, you'll see a lot of uh, uh, my colleagues' work and my work uh, in any of those digital efforts. The Mobile Excellence Awards are, uh, are coming up as well, and those winners hopefully will get a shot in the arm with uh, with the um, uh, the stamp of a, of approval and adoration from uh, industry leaders who vote on it. And um, uh, for as for myself, once we take a little uh, uh, nap for a couple of days after the uh, after the Grammys, uh, I dive back into um, um, uh, a podcast that we're in the process of launching, but also listening to podcasts like yours, uh, so that I can continue to learn and and this this old dog can. Uh, can figure out um, how to continue to, to look at the horizon and not just rest on uh, on our digital laurels. <laughs> well, perfect, Jim. I Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and uh, seeing you at the Media Awards uh, in a couple of weeks, and have a good rest of your day. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It was a great uh, great conversation, and, uh, and I can't wait to listen to, uh, to more of your show. All right, thanks, man. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye. All right. Thanks for listening. Please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Also check us out on Facebook at Building the Future Show and follow us on Twitter at Building Show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.